Welcome to Bible Over Brews, deep thoughts fermented over time and text. I'm your host, Aaron Crew Juice Viverka, and I'm coming at you with Keith. Hey! <laughs> Edward! Hello! Mike! Howdy! Kaden! Hello! <laughs> and Mr. Michael O'Neill, the Miracle Hunter himself. How you guys doing? <laughs> Excellent. How are you tonight? Yeah, this is great. Uh, I'm uh, happy to join you. We're looking forward to having you. you on. We are going to be having Leinenkugel Snowdrift Porter. Drift into winter with Snowdrift Vanilla Porter, backed by popular demand as our winter standalone, because we're finishing up winter. <laughs> A full-bodied brew with hints of cocoa, coffee, and caramel brought out by roasted malts and aged on real vanilla. Our Leinenkugel Snowdrift Porter is smooth and cream-making for a perfect warm-up past winter. <laughs> so everybody, cheers. Cheers. I'm going to pretend this is one of those because I like that beer. <laughs> right off the bat, it is rather dark and uh, it's almost like a liquid walnut. It looks a little like coffee. <laughs> That's going to be those, those hints of coffee. A lot like coffee. <laughs> Has a pleasant aroma. Definitely get the, the hoppy aroma. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's smooth. Mm. Real it smooth. Tastes like world domination. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not good at well, these things. If world domination tastes this good, <laughs> sign me up for another. This could be your niche in the in the beer tasting industry, Edward, is if you like say it tastes like world domination or bitter defeat. <laughs> And you try to like convince people that like they should be tasting world domination too, and they don't do it, and you look like you're just really good at this. Yeah, yeah. Or if like all else fails, you say like really earthy, something like earthy, <laughs> or, like a vague word. Yeah, it's quite good. <laughs> it's and it's very well balanced. It's not hard. It's not too sweet. It's it's very well. We're very well done. This has very good. Good job, Lennon Google. <laughs> So, Mr. Michael O'Neill, um, glad to, we're not just glad we're ecstatic to have you on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is fun. Thanks for including me in this. Oh man! Um, so you have a new book out, and that is uh, I've already been diving into it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, what I found really interesting is the fact that you paired ten of the apparitions. With with the names or the uh, the titles that go with our mother, and the name of the book is Aaron. Well, it is Mr. Michael O'Neill, Virgin Mother and Queen, encountering Mary in time and tradition. And I have to say, I'm the co-author of the book. I uh, I wrote about the Marian apparition part of it, but Dr. Robert Fistigi, uh, he wrote the theological background. So, uh, if, if you don't know that name, uh, in my humble opinion, he's at the top or amongst the top of all Marian scholars in the United States. So he is a legitimate guy, and he has, uh, he's been the head of the Mariological Society of America and uh, numerous other books and, and writings. He's really uh, a top guy, so I was so honored to be able to write with him. That's amazing. How, how did you come to know Mr. Uh, Fastigi? So Dr. Fastigi, um, he's part of the Mariological Society, and I am as well, so... We've had the experience over years of going to these meetings once a year and sitting down and talking, sometimes over a brew, sometimes not. But 
just discussing, you know, Mary uh, of all things. Uh, and he, he knows more than anyone I've ever met because he can just quote papal encyclicals uh, off the top of his head. And he just knows all the writings of the saints and the popes and, and everything. And if, if there's ever a question to be answered about Mary, he's the guy. And that's why the book is great because sure, you can read about some of these incredible miracles that have happened, but if you ever had a question about Mary and how she fits in into salvation history, he details that in a question and answer format that's really easy to read. And uh, you can't come away from the book not being uh, going to the top level of knowledge of, of Mariology when you read this book. So I was excited to, to pair with him. Yeah, I've, I've been really impressed with it. Um, and it's nice because the book has several levels to it. I love the fact that each one of them goes over the details of the apparitions but then it also goes over to the theological significance of each one of them. That's right. And I think, um, you know, we, we each stayed in our own lane, so to speak. I mean, I was the, I was the main guy behind the uh, writings on the apparitions and the history. So I, I put all my knowledge and experience into that. And he really just laid down the theology. And I think, uh, you know, you learn so much and, and I learned so much. I feel like, you know, I've been, I've been studying uh, Mary and Mariology for years, but I learned so much in, in teaming up with Dr. Fastigi on this one. So it's it's one of these books that's kind of fun to read and educational at the same time. So I think it's a, it's a good one for Catholics everywhere. Definitely. So now Mike, Mike's, Mike's a bit newer to some of the, because uh, this is, I, I think I explained before me, if I didn't, I apologize. We're kind of an interfaith uh, podcast where a couple of us are Catholic, a few of us are evangelical. We even have an agnostic that pops in frequently, so, <laughs> so which is fun because then we get to answer each other's questions. So it yeah. makes for for an enter entertaining podcast. <laughs> so the um, one of the things I wanted to bring up is uh, is the uh, the significance of uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe in your life. Oh, thanks. It's 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 a it's a great thing. I mean, I think that. You know, everybody has, uh, all Catholics have their own uh, own title of Mary that they, they're attracted to. It's kind of like having a baseball team. Everybody sort of cheers for, for their specific one. But uh, I really, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe is the title of Mary that uh, that syncs up with me the best. And I think that people, people wonder how I turned into this uh, miracle hunter guy. And it really dates back to uh, my own mother, who had a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe as a young child. And uh, she actually ex had the terrible experience of her mother falling away from the Catholic faith. And it was through her prayers to Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, that my grandmother, who had fallen away from the faith, had come back. And uh, like, like Catholics like to do, or maybe all believers of any sort like to do, is uh, she made a deal with God. She said, God, if you bring my mother back to the faith, someday when I grow up, I'm going to be a school teacher. And every December 12th, on the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, I'm going to teach all my school kids the story of these incredible miracles. And if I have any children of my own, every December 12th, they're going to hear the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Juan Diego. So I wouldn't be telling the story if it weren't the way it happened. But every December 12th growing up, I heard that story because my grandmother came back to the faith. And, you know, the stories of Juan Diego and the apparitions and the conversions of the nine million Aztecs and the miraculous tilma that science can't explain, all these things. I heard about these things a lot as a kid, and they kind of just uh, got got baked into the fabric of my brain, you know. And so growing up, that was something that I had a, had a great interest in and love for. And so I really wanted to study this more as I grew up. 
Yeah. It, I found that one shocking as well, especially because there's so many, there's so many layers to that apparition. You yeah, know? I think so. And, I, and, and on, on a very basic level, I mean, I think that, you know, this guy, Juan Diego, who's a saint, you know, he's, uh, this happened in 1531, according to the documentation. But, um, you know, here's a guy who has a vision of the Virgin Mary and she says, go talk to the bishop and have a church built so that people might honor my son, Jesus. And so Juan Diego is like a simple guy. And he says, who, me? Are you talking to me? I, I don't know what to do with this. The bishop's not going to listen to me. We all kind of have that experience, don't we, when we talk about spreading the gospel. How are we supposed to do that? How are we equipped uh, to do that sort of a thing? So I think we can all kind of understand the position of this Juan Diego, this simple guy who says, I'm not really the guy for this. Let let the holy rollers do it. Let the big shots do it. I'm a nobody. So I think the story of Juan Diego and taking on that mission and seeking the bishop. And then when they built that church and they told that story to all the people, they had nine million converts in 10 years, uh, people who were, uh, who were, who were not uh, practicing any kind of Christian faith at that point. And uh, there were just mass conversions and uh, a great faith in God in Mexico even today is is a, is a big time uh, Catholic country due to this influence of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the work of Saint Juan Diego. So it's kind of an amazing story. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's interesting that uh, your story struck me that you know you heard as a child some miracles and the histor historic value, and I think everybody, at least in in today's day and age, hears of a possibility of a miracle, but. We all kind of wait for the miracle to come to us. And I, I really think it's inspiring that not only did you go seek those out, but now you kind of you wrote a book to make the, that history available to people. I'll definitely be checking it out. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot. I mean, I think that the book is an outgrowth of uh, many years of study. And I've got a couple other books under my belt as well. And my real work, life's work, has been the website MiracleHunter.com, where, you know, I, I it's, it's we can get into this more if we like, but, you know, sort of on the side, I was a respectable engineer. You know, I had a nice engineering degree and a nice job. And, you know, on the side, behind the scenes at night, I said, I want to, you know, I want to study miracles. I want to know if they're legitimate. And so I actually posted this website, miraclehunter.com. I started posting anonymously on there and just chucking up all these stories of miracles that I could find that I could, I could investigate and see what the Catholic Church said about them and post all I could. And so over the course of many years, I kept posting and posting and posting and all this stuff started growing. And all of a sudden I started getting speaking offers. I got book offers. Dr. Oz and Megyn Kelly called me. National Geographic called. So all these things opened up and it's all because of the curiosity that I just want to see our miracles real. And I just wanted to share that with the world. That's awesome. Yeah. And the great thing is, is that you have that the podcast that where you run this information all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really easy for people to keep up with your research. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I as I can tell you guys enjoy this sort of thing as well. Um, I don't drink as many beers as you do while I'm uh, interviewing people, but I like that angle. I might try it. But when we uh, every week on Relevant Radio, I get to interview uh, two guests and it's really fascinating. I I thought it'd be so hard to get guests to come onto my radio show, but it turns out everybody wants to hear the sound of their own voice or, or something like that, or <laughs> promote, promote their own thing or whatever it is. So everybody wants to come on. And, you know, I've had people like uh, Harry Connick Jr. or any of these uh, bishops have come on my show. And it's uh, Jim Caviezel, uh, Jesus himself in, in, in film, you know, so 
it's been uh, it's been a fun thing to to invite different people on and get them on as you have the same experience. But um, it's a great honor to talk about miracles, and that's all I do. I'm a one trick pony. It's all miracles all the time. So you know, every week I talk to uh, new people about miracles on the show, and I, I really love it. Yeah, this has got to keep you really busy. Yeah, it's uh, it's a busy life, and believe it or not, the being a miracle hunter doesn't pay well. It's not, uh, you know, not, it's not like uh, Indiana Jones finding a treasure. You're finding miracles that uh, you know that pays well in in stories, you might say. But you know, so I, I piece together an income with uh, book sales and pilgrimages and making movies for EWTN and the radio show and all these little things. They all come together to to make it all make it all happen, but. It's, there's a lot going on uh, in the world of the Miracle Hunter, I guess. <laughs> so speaking of that, how did you start doing tours? That was that I found that kind of fascinating that it, it it parlays into that. Did somebody just say, "Yo, you should do this"? Or, well, it's it's a strange thing because I, I always had the idea that you know you have to be somebody special to lead a tour. And maybe I'm downplaying the thing and maybe this will not get people to come on my tours. But uh, somebody approached me at one point and said, you know, there's all these incredible stories of miracles all over the world. And people are dying to see these places. And you've been there and you know the places. Why don't you take some groups with you? So, um, you know, so that's what happened uh, some years ago. And every year I pick a different uh, international place of miracles. We you know, went to Fatima for the 100 year anniversary we went to Lourdes last year and all over France, all the Marianne apparition sites of France. And so uh, next year, if uh, or this year, if coronavirus uh, seems to calm down, we'll be going to Poland and Lithuania. So, um, nice. yeah, it's it's an amazing thing. I, I feel very honored and blessed to be able to do it. And one of the fun things that I've been doing is I've been taking my EWTN film crew with me on these pilgrimages. So we've been filming little episodes at each and every stop along the way. So Perhaps later this summer or later in the year, we'll be coming out with a full set of uh, Miracle Hunter travel series. So that'll be that'll be coming soon. That would be phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, so I'm having a blast, uh, just doing what I can to spread the word. And I think that people get excited about miracles, just like I do. Maybe not to the extent that I do, but I think everybody has doubts. Everybody has questions. Everybody has their ups and downs with their faith. But I think miracles are that way that, you know, God shows himself in our world. So, you know, I think that. A lot of people find solace and excitement about uh, about their faith when they they hear miracle stories. Yeah, I found it really interesting that you uh, you brought up that you say you really like the Eucharistic miracles. Yeah, they're they're my favorite actually. I think um, you know I started uh, MiracleHunter.com just specifically focused on the miracles of Mary, Mary and apparitions, and and those are amazing. And there's been 2,500 claimed Marian apparitions in history. So if you say only a tiny percentage, even if only a tiny percentage are true, we're dealing with, you know, a significant phenomenon. But the reality is when you talk about Marian apparitions, you're still talking about the testimony of a reliable witness. You're talking about people, hopefully they're telling the truth. Hopefully the Catholic Church has run all the psychological tests they can to find out that this person is not just making it up. When it comes to Eucharistic miracles, science can prove that the miracle is happening, which I find amazing. And as an engineer uh, and a scientist of my own, in my own right, I love the fact that there's some proof, not just the testimony of a witness, which I still will take under the correct scrutiny, but the proof of science is uh, really exciting. Right, which is phenomenal. Yeah, because there's, there's only a handful of the uh, 
of the of apparitions with good solid evidence you know like our lady of guadalupe or perhaps our lady of las lajas or our lady of aquita where there's something tangible left behind that can be evaluated yeah yeah I'm impressed with your knowledge. Most people can't rattle that list off so easily. So thank you very much. That's impressive. Nice. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you bring up, you know, you have something that involves science. So you have people on different sides of the coin. And I think there's a third one that I'm curious about if you have any insight on. So you have believers who want to believe in the first place, but maybe, you know, they hear these and they're inspired to kind of carry on. And then you have scientific unbelievers who then when they see Eucharistic miracles and things like that, that science can back, at least it will stir that question. But what about, I think new age is something that really seems to have a lot of steam right now. And, you know, I have a friend who's reading, what's her name? Like Sylvia Brown's like psychic book or something like that. And so it, it talks about like people walking and seeing, seeing spirits and things like that. So I'm just curious if there is um, like, Maybe they're not seeing that, but that if they see something that science backs and that's in line with the Bible, that would kind of get them out of just some sort of unsupported new age fly by the seat of your pants. I think that's a pretty cool thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always excited to see the science uh, behind any of these claims. And I think I'm a I call myself a skeptic as much as I am a believer. So when there is some sort of a fantastic report of somebody seeing something or doing something, Sure, the report sounds exciting, but I want to see the science behind it to really, uh, you know, really get excited by it. So there's all kinds of strange stuff out there, but we just got to see the science to see what that proves. That, that had a, kind of a question that came to my mind related to that. I, I mean, uh, one trouble with the word miracle is it means so many things to so many different people. It can mean, you know, I got an A on my test, and, you know, after I pray to God, I keep thinking of there was a story of a, you know, a Bible that was secreting oil in Georgia. And then they finally found out a few months later, there was actually a guy buying tons of oil <laughs> from a supply store. But on the <laughs> other hand, I, I was wondering if you could unpack a little bit, like some of the scientific rigor the church goes into to, for the benefit of those who might not be aware of, you know, just saying something is a miracle because it seems like it, you know, just happened out of nowhere versus actually going in and investigating it. Yeah, it's a great question. And and I had a experience with this exact thing where different people have different opinions on but what a miracle is. And, you know, like you say, you, you lose your wallet, you lose your cell phone and those things come back or, you know, you, you pray for the, you know, the beautiful woman to marry you and maybe she shouldn't have. And that's the miracle or whatever the thing is. You know, um, there are people who have, you know, different definitions of, of miracle. And it comes from a Latin word meaning to to remark or to be in wonder. And so, um, you know, I was on the Dr. Oz show, which was kind of a fun thing. I don't know. I, I haven't had that many of these big name things, but uh, Dr. Oz, you know, invited me on his show. And I was actually shared the stage with this Devon Franklin, who's uh, an, an amazing guy. And, and I really uh, hope that I can work with him more someday. But Devon Franklin uh, made the movie Heaven is for Real and any of these other breakthrough or, or miracles from heaven or any of these big Sony pictures films that have faith as their backbone. And so they kind of asked, you know, each of us, what is a miracle? And I had to chuckle at it in retrospect because Devon sort of said, don't you know, life is a miracle. Everything mm -hmm. is a miracle, you know, and here I was saying, well, it must be a, you know, follow the church's criteria in order to, you know, just uh, to be considered to be a legitimate validatable miracle, you know? And so I was really stuck in the science and Devon had his, 
had McLeod saying, you know, the fact that we're breathing at all is miraculous. So there's a huge spectrum on what a miracle truly is. But when we look at the Catholic Church, I would say the best way to examine how the Catholic Church looks at miracles is looking at the cures at Lourdes or the cures used in canonization causes. So uh, you may or may not know this, but at Lourdes there have been about 7,000 remarkable cures of people who have bathed in those waters. Uh, that's in Lourdes, France with St. Bernadette Soubrou. She un uncovered that uh, that fount and then people went in there for years and years and even to this day, even they had the 70th cure out of 7,000 remarkable and many millions of other ones that have happened there. And they also use the same criteria, this Lambertini criteria, when they look at the miracles used for canonizations of saints, and that's in Rome. And they only look at these cases where somebody has prayed to just one saint for their singular intercession. So, for example, if, if, you're, uh, if your father had cancer and you prayed to uh, John Paul II and Mother Teresa and St. Francis and St. Therese and somebody who might be a saint, if that cancer went away inexplicably and you went to your priest or to the bishop or to the pope and said, hey, I've got a miracle for you. I prayed to these five people. He would say, I don't know. I'm not sure if we're going to go with the one maybe saint. We're going to go with one of the legitimate ones who have real miracles. So they're very specific. And when I'm in trouble, I have to be honest, I pray to all my friends, the saints in heaven, some, hoping that somebody will pick up the phone because I'm not just going to limit it just to one person that they might answer my prayer. So I think that when it comes to uh, intercessory miracles, a lot of faith goes into it. But the cures that they look at, they look at this Lambertini criteria, which was established by Prospero Lambertini, who was an Italian cardinal and later pope. And his criteria is still in use in the church today. And he was born in the 1600s. So he said a cure must be a serious medical condition, not liable to go on its own. It must be an instantaneous, it must go away quickly, not over the course of years, complete. If you're blind, you can't just have one eye come back. You need both eyes and lasting. It has to not disappear and then come back. Like uh, somebody who has cancer, if it goes into remission, then comes back in another year or two, that doesn't count if it keeps bouncing back and forth. It has to be completely gone. And the hardest criteria, in my opinion, is that there can be no medical treatment that relates to the cure. So the Catholic Church obviously encourages everybody to see their doctors. They're not saying just sit home and pray and hope it goes away and pray to God. They say, see your doctors. But the cases where they go to the doctor, the doctor diagnoses it. And before the surgery, they take one last look and they say, wait a minute, there's nothing there. Or... They did a treatment and the treatment didn't work or did, did several treatments. No treatments worked. And then all of a sudden, after these prayers, the disease is gone. So um, those are the cases they look at. And so they use a very, very strict criteria, a little bit of a miracle. Anytime anything is declared a miracle, there's a panel of seven doctors. They need five out of seven in order for it to be considered a, a true miracle. So this is the Catholic Church's process in specific when it comes to healing miracles, which all religions can agree on, doesn't matter if you're Catholic, Protestant, or otherwise, when you look at these things, it's the healing miracles, not the Eucharistic miracles or the miracles of Mary. Those are controversial because they imply that you might have to believe in the Eucharist or believe in Mary uh, once those miracles happen. So uh, people across the board don't want to touch those, but healing miracles are the ones that everybody gets excited about. Yeah. That's phenomenal. And the fact that it has that verification process is like beyond question. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, and um, and I'm actually writing a new book. I've got several new books coming out in the next couple of years, but one of them is called The Science of Miracles, and that's coming out with 10 books. And uh, that is going to go through all the different ways that the Catholic Church applies science. So that's uh, canonization causes and those miracles, Eucharistic miracles, weeping statues like the one that happened in Hobbs, New Mexico within uh, the last year or two, and uh, any of these other phenomenal cases where science can be applied to get an answer whether something is truly uh, naturally inexplicable. I love the fact that um, you verified that you said um, both in your book, and I think I heard one on one of the podcast episodes as well, where you said there's many, like thousands of claims of crying statues, but then either you or the church themselves have been able to debunk a large portion of them but then you have been able to verify that there are a bunch, uh, or at least a handful of them, that are verifiable. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty amazing because people will make this this comment, and you know th this might be true of a different age, but you know when it comes to uh, Marian apparitions or other miracles, the Catholic Church or any actually Christian denomination is not in the business of validating miracles. That's not what they do. That's not what they care about. People, they, you know, you talk to your local parish priest, he doesn't want a weeping statue in his parish. He wants people to attend mass because they believe and they want to grow in their faith. He doesn't want to see the huge uh, flocks of crowds coming just in order to see some strange thing that may or may not be true. And so when it comes to investigations of miracles, of Marian apparitions, of weeping statues, etc., the Catholic Church just wants them to go away. They want them to disappear so that people might focus on the real stuff, the meat of our faith. And so, but when, and so they're actually out to disprove anything. If you look at any of the stories of the famous apparitions, and you can look in my book, Virgin Mother and Queen, where we talk about Lourdes, for example, the authorities did not actually believe St. Bernadette was telling the truth, or the children of Fatima. The authorities wanted them to confess. They offered them candy. They, they offered to torture them. They, they were faced with death, for example. They wanted them to give up on, this, uh, on, these, on these claims. So the Catholic Church is very much uh, trying to get to the truth and get all this stuff to go away because it doesn't help anybody except when it does, when the crowds come, when 70,000 people show up at Fatima and see the miracle of the sun, or the huge numbers that showed up at Lourdes, or the nine million conversions in Mexico with Guadalupe, when the big numbers show up, then we say in retrospect, hey, that was great. But when <laughs> it's going on, there's the doubt that runs in, overruns everybody, and then they say, we need this to stop because this is a distraction. Yeah, yeah. I've, I feel that doubt a lot when I read about those things. Like, what's the point of a, a crying statue? Or what's the point of, you know... Like, are people putting too much stock into those things, and it looks like we think God's like Puff the Magic Dragon or something? <laughs> I mean, it's it's really like, what's the bigger like meaning behind this? You know, like there's there. Yeah, you know you're what I'm saying you're, like you're, you start feeling like cynical about like faith when that happens. Yeah, you stuff. bring up you bring up a great question specifically related to weeping statues and. You know, th this might be a question for God when we get to heaven. However, um, you know, when we when we talk to we talk about Mary and apparitions, Mary gives messages to the children, right? Like you know exactly what she's thinking, you know exactly what the point of it all is, and it's like a download. You know, here's the thing that I wanted you to know, and I brought it to you. When it comes to weeping statues, it's just a phenomenon, 
And what do you do with the thing? There's no messages. And so, you know, I think that, um, I think when it comes to weeping statues, I mean, there's the, there's the basic point of this is remarkable. This is something we don't know why this is happening. And it causes us to pause and say, there is something more than us out there. There is a God. I need to reflect on what this could mean and what it means for my own life. And the other aspect is, I don't know if you've ever seen your own mother cry, but it is a significant thing. It, it touches and breaks your own heart to see your mother crying. And even though these are statues and they're strange and we don't really know what to do with them, the idea of Mary showing her sorrowful heart to us in a very real way that we have to look at, that we have to deal with, that makes us reflect on our own lives of sin and say, shouldn't I be doing something a little bit different to draw closer to Christ? Shouldn't I be doing something just a little bit different in my own life of faith? And so it's just that wake-up call, I think. But yeah, I'm with you all the way. They are strange. They are kind of distracting. And sometimes we just don't even know what to do with them. But I think that it's just that little jolt that says, wait a minute, God is there. And this might mean something. Let's see what it means for our own lives. Right. Yeah. And I, I you know, I get a little cringy when I hear about those things because I'm like, man, like there's people who already think the Catholics like worship statues. What's this going to make them think? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, but I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be thinking about those people like what, what they think it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter what other people think i guess i think it's interesting like when i read the bible and then when somebody else reads the same passage of the bible we can come away with two different lessons reading the same thing because and i think that's sometimes how god works is he shows things in a way that that it's not vague per se but it it's uh uh, like a double entendre or something, you know, it just speaks multiple things to multiple people. And maybe, you know, the statue might not speak to me, but I imagine it's speaking to others the way they need it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think some of these things are open-ended. So, you know, uh, we can, we can grow with them or we can ignore them. And, and, you know, I have to make this point. I think it's so important and it's, it's worth, uh, you know, internalizing for ourselves and, and even sharing with our, uh, with friends who aren't necessarily with us in our Catholic faith is that when it comes to private revelation and all these strange claims of miracles, even when the Catholic Church approves them as worthy of belief and saying this is a supernatural event and maybe even sets up a feast day like Lourdes, Fatima, Guadalupe, um, you know, any of these others, even when all that stuff happens, even when a pope is honoring Mary under one of these apparition titles, we can ignore the whole thing if we don't, if we want to. It's not the essence of our faith. I mean, the words and works of Jesus Christ found in the Gospels, that's our true faith right there. That we cannot abandon. But if we think that those miracles at Lourdes, science doesn't know what it doesn't know, and someday all that stuff will be proven, and you know, it's all psychosomatic and all that, we could believe that if we wanted to. I think you're wrong, but you could think that. Or at Fatima, you could say, those children were just making it up. They just wanted attention. They didn't know any better. They were just kids. That's not a miracle. You could say that, and you'd still be a good Catholic. You could also say at, Fat at uh, Guadalupe, that's just a painting. That's not the, the, the hand of God drawing that. Um, you could say that, and you'd still be a good Catholic. So even these most famous, most honored cases of miracles, if you want to ignore them, you're, you're free to do that, and uh, you're not going to be locked out of heaven as a result. Right. <laughs> right. I do think it's interesting, though, in a lot of these cases of Marian apparitions, Mary is appearing to 
little kids or mm-hmm. people who are maybe ignorant or or deaf. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> and not like you never hear about him, her appearing to like church officials that are higher up, you know, you <laughs> these well, like that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. I think that you know, everybody assumes even uh, you know, uh Cardinal Ratzinger, when he reflected on on the apparitions of Mary before he came Pope, he said that Mary appears to the young and simple. That was his quote. And that's in general true. However, it turns out as the mother of God, Mary can appear to whomever she wants, including she's approved, she's appeared to something like uh, five different popes throughout history. Hmm. And when a pope claims an apparition, it's already approved. There's nobody who's going to tell oh. him that it's not legit. So <laughs> um, he's, he's also appeared to all kinds of adults throughout the ages. Most of the modern Marian apparitions are to adults. And there was this case actually in 1947, uh, Bruno Cornacchiola is his name, uh, in Italy. He actually hated the, the Catholic church so much that he had a dagger inscribed on it, death to the Pope. This is not this is joking. This is serious. He was on his way to assassinate the Pope. When Mary appeared to him as the Virgin of Revelation in Tre Fontana, Italy, and I've been there uh, on pilgrimage, <laughs> and she appeared to him and said, "Don't, uh, don't go ahead with that uh, assassination," yeah, yeah. and he didn't do it. <laughs> and he instead he went to confession to the Pope. Can you believe that that confession? Huh. Bless me, wow. Holy Father. I sinned. I had one really bad intention, and whatever. I've never been to confession anyway. So it's amazing. Uh, Mary appears to all kinds of people, but the ones that we know about are the ones that she appears to saints, where she appears to children. Those are the cases that uh, really get all the attention. Mm. Yeah, because I had not known about the any of the Pope ones. No, <laughs> I had I, I didn't know. So about the Pope I was ones. just thinking, wow, I need to go back and look. I'm ignorant. Maybe she'll appear to me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I, have a, I have a really dumb question. I'm just praying that I ask it in a way that could generate a smarter answer than the question. Um, so it's, it's a popular thing in, in media, and it shows up on eBay or the news or whatever, the idea of, of you know, the Blessed Virgin appearing in my grilled cheese or uh-huh. my piece of toast or whatever. And is, like, when I think of miracles, you know, especially Marian apparitions, like, I think of, you know, a lot of these have a common, you know, character they demonstrate of mary they don't just a piece of mary's personality just doesn't come totally out of the blue is it it, has mary ever appeared in food is it at all plausible that mary could appear in some kind of inanimate object or is that just so far out of the characteristics we normally see in marian apparitions that that's if you see that and someone says it's true you could pretty much dismiss it as false well it's, it's a great question and a great point and i think one of the interesting things is I don't know if you guys are familiar with this alleged apparition, Our Lady of America. That's an apparition from uh, Astoria, Ohio, in Rome City, Indiana, in the 1950s. And people would often ask me, is this going to be the uh, next Marian apparition approved as authentic? And I thought that it it potentially was, uh, because it had the uh, initial interest of the church. There was a a medal approved, a statue approved. The messages were found to be without theological error initially. But just this last week, it was actually condemned as, uh, as not a true apparition of Mary. And so one of the things that, in retrospect, when you look back at it, Mary is very loquacious in these apparitions. She says a lot of words. She says a lot of, speaks in a way that's very different than she speaks at Lourdes and Fatima, for example. And so you might say, is, is this so different than the normal Marian apparition? Maybe it is. Uh, maybe it is. But um, when you talk about Mary appearing in food, you know, I think that uh, 
that's a very common question from believers and non-believers. They say, well, what about the grilled cheese Mary? What does that mean? And of course, we can laugh at it, and I do laugh at it. And um, in every presentation I give, I always show a picture of the grilled cheese Mary just to give that sense of we do have <laughs> Our Lady of Guadalupe appearing on the tilma of Juan Diego, an inanimate object, but we also have Mary supposedly appearing on uh, on grilled cheese. And so, um, do I think that's a real miracle? No. But did you know that the woman who received that miracle or that uh, grilled cheese Mary and sold it on eBay for ten thousand dollars, she was not a believer. But as a result of putting it on eBay, she was actually uh, befriended by a priest. And as a result, she became Catholic. Oh, so, um, does you know, Mary work in grilled cheese? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so, but it's possible, I guess. But <laughs> there have been a number of cases. Uh, it was mentioned earlier, Our Lady of Las Lajas, Mary appearing on rock. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Our Lady of Coromoto, where she appears in a, a small drawing, as it's, as it's alleged. Or Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Absam in 1798 um, in Austria. And so that's a case where she appeared on a window um, as a, a young girl was praying that her father would return home safely from a mining accident. And uh, actually, the father came home. They thought he had died. And they showed it to the bishop, and he scrubbed it with acid and caused the image to go away. And the image has come back, supposedly. <laughs> and so you can still see that image even today. And so that's considered a true uh, image of Mary. Um, you know, it, I, I have my doubts, but, you know, that's what the bishop thought. So um, so there have been a, a few cases where we have an inanimate object and Mary appearing on it. Again, we can believe in those if we want. We can ignore them if we want. But in general, that's the, not the standard approach. But Our Lady of Las Lajas in Colombia and Our Lady of Guadalupe, you have both an apparition and an image. And those are the two famous ones uh, like like that that you mentioned. Yeah, I'm still looking for that for the geological document. I haven't found it yet. I'm still looking for for Las Lajas. Yeah, believe it or not, I've been looking for that for years as well. So uh, that's uh, that's a little bit of a uh, of a chase, and, and I'll post <laughs> it on my website when I've got it. But I've been contacting the shrine and contacting experts, and nobody seems to have the documentation. So you know, I try not to talk about it too much because I can't back it up with scientific proof. Right. <laughs> There's one that I really. Sorry, go ahead, Keith. Oh, I was just to say, so it sounds like in all those cases, there's at least something else to it just besides, you know, Mary appearing in the window. Like, it it sounds like just appearing on grilled cheese, and then you eat it, and then, oh, the apparition is gone, like, <laughs> and nothing else happened would be, like, at least, well, it probably would never get declared a miracle, to say the least, but it would sound... Yeah, I mean, I think that, the, the, yeah, exactly, the, the church... Um, there, there have, there have been a couple other small cases, um, uh, where, where Mary has been seen to appear in wood or in rocks or in other things that, you know, that, that are honored by local tradition, but, uh, never have gone through a, a big investigation in the same way that we look at any of the top Marian apparitions. So, uh, the, the church tends to avoid those types of things, you know, seeing Mary in the clouds or seeing her in a stain in a wall, all those things, those mm-hmm. come up all the time, but uh, the church doesn't really validate any of those. Yeah. There's another one that I think is really interesting because it has like a really like clear picture and it's not approved by the Roman Catholic church, but I think it's approved by the Coptics or the Orthodox. I can't remember. Oh, I know where you're going. Our Lady of Zaytun. Yeah. And it's a really neat photo. And I'm like, I hope that's real. Cause that's so like, like there's no other photo like that. Yeah, so um, I hate to break it to you. Well, I want to break it to you that 
not only is it not a photo, it's actually a video. So they, there's 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 video footage out there of Our Lady of Zaytun. So 1968 to 1971, it was said that Mary walked on the rooftops of this St. Mark's Coptic Orthodox Church in Egypt. And, um, you know, it was witnessed by Christians, Jews, atheists alike. There were huge numbers of crowds and miracles being claimed. And it was actually broadcast on Egyptian television, the whole event. <laughs> And the people there, the, the officials wanted it to stop just like they want everything to stop. And so they took away, they shut down all the power in the town because they didn't want any projection system creating the image. And the, the image of Our Lady still walked on the uh, rooftop even when all the power was shut down. And so this was actually approved by the Coptic Orthodox Church and actually recognized by the Roman Catholic Church both. And actually, um, on my radio show, I will be interviewing uh, somebody who was a witness to that event. Uh, so I'm very excited about that coming up in the months ahead. That's so cool. That's um, yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's, it's one of the, the most uh, mind-bending things out there because Mary usually appears to a small group of children, and this was an appearance to huge uh, numbers of people. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you say um, recognized by the Catholic Church, but approved by like the Coptics and you know, um, what's the difference between like, oh, we recognize that happened, but like we're we're not like totally on board, or what does that mean? So I, I use these words very specifically, uh, approve and recognize, because uh, when it comes to Marian apparitions, there's all these levels of church authority, and so. When we talk about the, uh, the visions of Mary uh, investigated by the Roman Catholic Church, everybody assumes that the Pope sends out his own personal miracle hunter to go out and investigate an apparition and report back to him if it's a true miracle, and then he'll decide whether it's a true apparition, and then he'll set up a feast day or canonize the saint because he decided. It doesn't work that way at all. So it, only the local bishop is the person who gets to investigate. So, um, you know, it's the bishop at Lourdes or the bishop at Fatima or the bishop of Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's his decision, not the pope's decision, if in fact something gets approved. And so um, the church may recognize it later. The Vatican may recognize it and set up that feast day or, or build a basilica or canonize that visionary or send a golden rose or the pope may visit or they may compose a prayer these are all signs of recognition where the church says, yep, that looks good, but they're not doing their own uh, investigation. The only uh, variation to that or only difference is Our Lady of Medjugorje, uh, the alleged apparitions from 1981 in Bosnia-Herzegovina. But circling back to Zaytun in Egypt, that is because the Catholic Church didn't have the, uh, the authority to make a decision on that one. It was the Coptic Orthodox Church who own that apparition. I'm using that word in a funny way, but it's in their jurisdiction to make a make a judgment on that apparition. And, and they met with Roman Catholic uh, advisors or, uh, or 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 people who uh, reported back to the Pope. But it's really the the Coptic Orthodox who it was in their purview to to make a decision on that apparition. Okay. Yeah. Look look forward to that to that interview. Yeah, yeah, because I always yeah. thought it's so cool, but I don't know if I'm supposed to think it's cool. Okay. Caden has a question. Oh, um, you do have a, a, Dito, uh, a EWTN uh, series, right? Yeah, About I do. Thank you. On the path to sainthood. Yeah, thanks, 
kidding. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really been the my my favorite project that I've been working on, and I've got a lot of pro, a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak. But that's my favorite, and it's a it's a show I do for EWTN. It's called They Might Be Saints, and it's the story of Americans on the path to sainthood and the search for canonization miracles. And I went through all the criteria a little bit ago about what makes a canonization miracle. But as you can imagine, these are really hard to find. These uh, these uh, miracles where people are praying to just that one saint and it passes all that Lambertini criteria. So um, and the church looks for miracles because it shows that the ha- the saint is in heaven with God. And that's the whole point of, of doing that, the process anyway. And so um, so it's it's a uh, we filmed 12 episodes so far and I'm hoping to do an episode on each and every one of the people on the path to sainthood in the United States who are venerables and beyond. So that's venerable, meaning that they've got a life of heroic virtue uh, recognized by the church. And then when they're blessed, that means they have one miracle under their belt. When they get two miracles, they will be a saint. So um, I named the show They Might Be Saints after that band They Might Be Giants, of course. Uh, that's the uh, that's the connection in the name. And so, um, so it's a fun thing where I get to work with all the canonization causes in the United States and we fly there with a film crew and interview all the people. And um, we just had an episode uh, come on, came on on uh, May 8th of Blessed Miriam Teresa Demjanovic was a great episode. It was, uh, and the miracle was remarkable. A boy who was blind from macular degeneration, his eyesight came back to 2020 from 2400 uh, through the intercession of Blessed Miriam Teresa Demjanovic. It's the only known case of a cure from macular degeneration. So it was an amazing amazing story to cover. And uh, on June 3rd, the next episode will be Father Patrick Payton, who you know as the Rosary Priest and his right. famous statement, the family that prays together stays together. So uh, we will be doing his episode next. And one little factoid about Father Payton is, before John Paul II, Father Payton was seen by more people uh, live than anyone else in the history of the world because he traveled to all the continents to try to give uh, people inspiration to pray the rosary. So millions of people would come out to see him and pray the rosary. So he had so many people who saw him live is more than anyone else in history. So uh, kind of a, an, an amazing guy. Wow. Where are these episodes or are these episodes available for people that maybe aren't aware? Yeah. So if you go to the website, they might be saints.com. You'll see all the episodes uh, that are, have been done and that are forthcoming and then uh, in fall, EWTN is going to be airing the episodes on back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back nights. So five nights in a week, they'll be airing all the episodes. And then they'll be available on their video on-demand service, so people will be able to watch them at any time they want. But that'll be fall when we, when we see a bunch of them in a row. Um, this is kind of like a two-fold question that you, you just kind of like reminding me of this. Um, so when somebody is in a position to be wanting or needing a miracle in their lives and they're desperate for that maybe and maybe it's like their nature to cast this wide net like hey whoever's up there like help me out talk to god like whoever can hear me cool like help me out cool um what makes a person like zero in on somebody and say i'm just gonna stick with you and then, like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stick with you, and this is gonna happen. And then also, like, does it have to be that person, or in some cases, is it their family? Like, because sometimes we hear of like 
miracles that happen to people who aren't believers at all. So they're not praying for like a petition for themselves, you know, asking a God that they don't believe in for something. So does it have to be that person or can it be a family member or friend petitioning for someone else who's, you know, also living? Yeah, those are those are two great questions. And so it's it's really funny. Uh, I'll, I'll try to answer the first one quickly is that when it comes to uh, people sticking to just the one saint, you know, we, we kind of think that's crazy. That's a crazy, uh, crazy method, right? Just to pray to all the saints. Why? Why just the one? Well, it, it turns out that some people, uh, whether it be through their family, uh, how they were, they were growing up or in their own lives, they just get really attached to a particular saint. And it could be because of that saint, what they're known for. It could be for whatever reason, the writings of that saint. Um, if you're looking for a good one of my interviews to, to listen to, uh, find the one about uh, Cardinal John Henry Newman, who was just uh, recently canonized, of course. And actually, I was able to interview in person the miracle recipient. Uh, there was this woman who was a, a former lawyer, actually, and she had a bunch of kids. And uh, she was actually having a miscarriage. And um, she had had miscarriages before, and she was you know, lying on her bathroom floor, couldn't find her phone or didn't have her phone. Um, she was actually bleeding out and, and would have died on the floor. But she calls out to uh, Cardinal Newman, who she had a deep spiritual friendship with her. That's the way she explains it. And the bleeding stopped instantaneously. And the doctors looked at her later and they found out, you know, that she should have died, that she should have died from this. And uh, but it's because she had a very specific connection to him. She had uh, read all his, his writings. She had prayed to him previously. They, they, she had grown close to him over time. Same with Fulton Sheen, the story of the boy who was dead for 61 minutes, and the mother <laughs> and the family all prayed to Fulton Sheen. Um, you know, the, their family had a big-time devotion to, to that man. So uh, they, they sought him because they really believed he would help them. Um, and when it comes to... Couldn't everybody just be praying to all the different saints on their own? And couldn't that be, you know, the thing where we don't really know who answered the prayer? Yeah, I guess it could be. But when the Catholic Church does the investigation, and I interviewed the, the miracle investigator for Fulton Sheen for that case, when we look at that, when they started praying to Fulton Sheen, they called their friends and their parish and said, pray for our son James who has been dead, we pray that he comes back to life and pray to Fulton Sheen. So they asked for that specific intercession. Now, if they had said, pick your favorite saint and do your best and get us some prayers, then when the investigator came in and said, I'm not sure, it might have been this other person, then they would have said, I think the prayers got diluted. We're not sure who really came through on this one. <laughs> then they might not submit it to Rome. But because of that focused intercession, same with Mother Teresa, the miracle. Everybody at the parish was praying to Mother Teresa. So when they can, when they cast the net wide and ask for a lot of prayers, uh, they also must uh, ask that they pray to just the specific saint. Hmm. So, so we're not in any, uh, we're not anytime soon going to see an Our Lady of whoever's out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not. or Our Lady of wherever. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, because we just referenced uh, the Venerable Patrick Payton, um, our friends over at uh, Heavy Metal Rosaries are going to send you a gift. Um, they make customizable rosaries. Uh, they're sturdy. Uh, they're made of uh, full metals. 
Um, they're they're really cool. If anybody wants to see them, they go to heavymetalrosaries.com or go to their Instagram or go to their Facebook. But they're real nice. Uh, they're kind of like the pull chains, but they're they're customized. So each one of the beads isn't always just the the regular pull. So so they're going to be sending you one of those. Um, and uh, I, I thought you'd appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be excited to get it. <laughs> yeah, everybody could everybody could keep the founder of that company in their prayers too, because he's been diagnosed with COVID. So <sighs> yeah, so the the company's doing well, but the the founder he's he's come down with with COVID. So keep him in, his, in your prayers. But um, but yeah, they wanted to to sponsor a rosary for you, so I thought I'd let you know about that. And, Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, and again, they're really cool. They're they're sturdy. They're not like the ones that'll break in your pocket. <laughs> so, I I know you have to go because I know you said you you can only give us an hour, which yeah. I appreciate. It's been a phenomenal hour. It's uh, I've loved hearing about everything. Um, does anybody have any final questions for the for the miracle hunter? No, no I took some notes. I definitely have a lot to to research now. So I appreciate the time. It's great. I, I gotta yeah, say, as a very long time Catholic, that was a, at least ninety three percent of that I had not heard before. So I am very impressed, and it was a lot of great information. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you guys. It's been great hanging out with you, and uh, keep up your great work, uh, bringing uh, the uh, info on the beers and the faith to, to everyone out there. So uh, keep on, keep it up. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Absolutely. You too. Thank you. Yeah, Happy and, birthday. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank you guys very much. Have a great night. You too. Thank you again. Adios. (laughs) Don't forget to visit us on Patreon, virtually all social media, and podcast platforms.